This is the Transmissions from Atlantis Entertainment Network. Expand your wonder. Transmissions from Atlantis Entertainment presents The Vampires of Whitechapel, Episode 4 The Taking of Ariana Grayson, Part 2. Written by J.C. Delatore. Note This show contains dramatic scenes of horror and descriptions of violence or gore that may be unsettling to young listeners. Parental discretion is strongly advised. here and I've lost my sidearm. Are you nuts? Never run off like that! Can we do this a little later? Yeah. Ambrose focused his flashlight down the side streets to the dead end. Something reflected back from the light. It was my gun, which I quickly retrieved. He continued down the street, following the blood to the back wall. There's no way he could have scaled that. Yeah. Ambrose continuing to flash the light around the area. There was nothing in the street. He was gone. A few days later, another murder. Tracy Carroll, a goth club hopper from Oak Park, was found. With her, a note. Dear boss, the lovely redhead is definitely a fine addition to your team. I now know that she went all the way to Scotland to visit my mate Dougal. Have to visit him soon. Meantime, I have a message for the pretty Ariana. Dearest Ginger, if you can crack this, you may meet me in person. Meet me at Judge Dottie's Thousand. Love, Alistair the Annihilator. I don't know how this got screwed up this badly, but we have another body on our hands and now this prick is calling out our agents by name. Cantello! Yes, sir. I need everything we can find on Morrissey. I want to know which women he slept with, his shoe size, his favorite type of underwear, everything. Yes, sir. Grayson. What do you make of his riddle? Not sure, sir. We know the text was written in the Vic's blood. Tell me something I don't know, Agent. Like, who is Judge Doty? Isn't there a federal judge by that name in Minnesota? Maybe it doesn't mean anything. Perhaps he's just feeding us gibberish to keep us from tracking his crazy ass down. I don't think so, sir. No. This guy has been deliberate in everything he does. And now he's established a connection to you. Do you know this Judge Doty? <sighs> No. I was already spooked, since I hadn't been able to find my ID and badge since the incident at the post office. If Morrissey had it, he had my home address in D.C. thanks to my driver's license. Now he was directing his deranged notes to me. Inadvertently, I had sparked the fascination of a serial killer. 
It took me a few days, but then it dawned on me. Everything this guy does has a historic feel to it. The tweed jacket, the way he spoke, right down to the way he parted his hair. Perhaps the Judge Doty in question was a historic figure, not someone alive today. After some research, I discovered an interesting fact. In 1836, federal judge James Duane Doty purchased a thousand acres to erect the city of Madison, Wisconsin. He hoped to have the city become the capital of the territory when it became a state in the Union, even naming the city after the fourth president of the United States, James Madison, who had recently died. We raced to Madison, but discovered we had been too late. Another murder, Virginia Eccleston, had already taken place. With her, yet another note written in the victim's blood. From hell. Ginger, how you disappointed me. I knew Ambrose and Cantello were worthless, but I saw you as a potential. You might have stopped the madness had you come and found me. I guess I'll need to kill again to get your attention. Can you prevent me from feeding again? Ariana, meet me at the Dark Pyramid, near the River of the Monks. If you get here in time, you might be able to save this one and gain a new friend. Yours for eternity, Alistair the Annihilator. He knows all of our names? How is this possible? Could there be somebody feeding him his intel? Perhaps that's how he stayed ahead of us. Somehow he knows our every move. Morrissey was a homicide cop, wasn't he? Briefly. Are there any associations with him in the Bureau? I'll find out. I don't like this. I don't like him targeting you specifically. Perhaps we should put you in protection. Stop! Don't you finish that sentence. There's no way you're sidelining me in this. It would be for your protection. Do you need protection? Well, no. Neither do I. This isn't my first case, Agent Ambrose. I know, I just... Enough, Ambrose. Sir. Wait. I know this part. The Rivers of the Monks. It's Des Moines, Iowa. Is there a pyramid in Des Moines? Not that I know of. If we're wrong again... She wasn't wrong the first time. We just didn't make it in time. Ariana, he might be tuned into you, but you're locked into him as well. That's probably why he's suddenly fascinated with Agent Grayson. He sees her as a threat. No, I don't think so. He sees me as an equal in some sadistic sort of way. Well, let's get to your friend before he hurts anyone else. Yes, this is Detective Ambrose. We need a flight to Des Moines, Iowa. The charter flight to Des Moines was a bumpy one, traveling through thunderheads as it cut through the air in the dark of night. We went straight to the Des Moines field office, where we met the special agent in charge, Candace Rickson. Welcome, and thanks for the heads up. What do you make of the pyramid reference? Not sure on that one, Agent. Uh... Cantello. Yes, Agent Cantello. I can assure you that there are no pyramids in Des Moines. So it has to be some sort of reference. Like a building or something called Dark Pyramid. Agent? Grayson. Ariana Grayson. Ah, you're the one the killer has taken an interest in. You sure you don't want to sit this one out? Yes. 
Agent Grayson, yes, we've cross-referenced the word pyramid and dark with all known businesses in the area. I'm afraid to say we've come up empty. It's got to be something. He wouldn't have planted this breadcrumb without wanting us to find it. Indeed, Agent Ambrose. Your reputation precedes you, sir. Our office and staff is completely at your disposal. The minutes turned into hours which wrapped into days. We could find nothing referencing a pyramid in Des Moines, Iowa. Each night we left the field office and returned to the hotel, I couldn't help but feel like Morrissey was out there, watching and waiting. He knew we were there and was patiently waiting for us to figure it out. Was the victim already dead? I suppose he grew impatient. The call came in three days after we had arrived. Blood found near the top floor of the 801 Grand Building in downtown Des Moines. DMPD was on scene, but instructed not to pursue until the FBI arrived on scene. What do we got, patrolman? Sir, one of our guys was responding to a domestic and saw traces of blood. He followed the trail and found, well, see for yourself. It was truly a bloodbath in every sense of the word. From the tile to the roof, dark brownish-red liquid was splattered throughout the floor. It was as if somebody had taken a blood-drenched paint roller and went from top to bottom. My god! One body doesn't hold this much blood. No, sir. Crime Lab estimates three, possibly four, Vicks. Where are they? Don't know. We haven't found any bodies. This blood is dry, flaky. It's been here a few days. Look! A large concentration of the blood seemed to coagulate near the maintenance entrance to the roof. I pointed out the door to Ambrose and Cantello, who responded with a nod and went for their sidearms. Should we wait for Rickson? Nah, we need to move now. Besides, she hasn't been returning my calls. So much for the full resources of her office. Jesus Christ! No! No! Damn it, no! We found the bodies of four individuals. At least, what was left of the bodies, as they were in shreds. Oh, I, I can't. Cantello turned and puked. A first for her. I had the same urge, but managed to keep it down. I moved past the bits, making sure I didn't step on anything that could be construed as evidence slowly making my way up the stairs. Ambrose and Cantello followed. The blood began to cake on my brown Uggs as I made it to the door at the top of the stairs. On the door, written in blood, was one word. Ariana. I took a step back as Ambrose pushed ahead of me. The shock of seeing my name written in blood on the wall of a murder scene was enough to shake me to my core. Cantello put her arm around me, briefly breaking out of her tough cop persona to console me. This goes to the roof. 
Ambrose broke through the door and went into the light, where the early rays of the sun were painting the sky in an orange hue. Oh, no. Come on, Lord. No. No! On the roof was a pyramid-like figure, which from oxidation had turned brown from the copper sheet's deterioration. Tied to the pyramid was the body of a white woman, nude. She had been gutted from her neck to her privates, and her insides were spilled out and dangling. Her arms were tied over her head to a weather vane at the top of the pyramid. It took me a second to realize the victim was SAC Agent Candace Rickson. I heard Cantello scream behind me, and this time turned to console her. Ambrose paced around the roof, looking disturbed. Then, he suddenly stopped, staring at one of the sides of the pyramid. At its base, where some of Rickson's entrails had dripped, there was a blood-drenched note. Ambrose moved cautiously toward it, and retrieved it from the muck. He glanced toward me, darkly, accusingly. What? What does it say? It's not like the others. Only eight words. What the hell does it say, Carl? It says, Ariana, say yes, or die like the rest. I lost it. Hysterically weeping along with Cantella. This madman had his designs on me. The message was clear. I was next. With the trail cold, we returned to D.C. to regroup. The loss of a fellow agent was devastating. In all, six bodies were identified. The five workers from the financial institution that used 801 Grand as their base of operations, and Rickson, who the coroner said had been tortured for several hours before finally succumbing to her injuries. Geo put me on administrative leave, with an armed detail to accompany me to my home, which was a small, quaint house in DuPont Circle. I refused at first, wanting to stay on the case, but he insisted. There was no convincing him otherwise. I was the next target. With my escort of two beefy FBI agents, we headed to my flat. They checked every nook and cranny of the house before letting me enter, and then stationed themselves outside my bedroom door. I felt uneasy about having strange men in my house, but if they could pass an FBI background check, they had to be good guys. Then again, we knew somehow Morrissey was getting information about us. I was exhausted, and the thought of a long, warm bath was intriguing. I went into my bathroom and turned the knobs for the tub, just a hint of cold water to take the edge off, followed by the necessary warm water to get it to the right temperature. 
Add some bath beads to soothe my aching skin and it should be just right. As the water ran, I made my way into the bedroom and began to shed my pantsuit. Standing nude, I glanced into the mirror. My red hair seemed dull, flat. There were large splotches underneath my eyes from the lack of sleep. Why is it so cold in here? A fleeting thought passed. Glanced down to my ribs, which were showing now. <sighs> I've not been eating properly. I could see scrapes and bruises from my encounter with Alistair the Annihilator still healing. I was shaken, for sure. I was responsible for Rickson's death. Maybe not directly, but I knew that it was Alistair's calling card for me. He was letting me know that he was coming, and it would be just a matter of time before I would face him. Another cold breeze hit me, raising my pores along my skin. I looked back into the mirror, but this time I was perplexed. A piece of paper sat next to my favorite reading chair. I turned. Moving toward it, I picked it up in one fell swoop, opening to an extremely elegant penmanship. I read his letter. He wasn't Alistair the Annihilator anymore, but Alistair the Vampire. I've read you some of it already. Here was how it ended. During the day, I worked in broad daylight. I had different trades throughout the years. With enhanced senses, I was a talented artist, sculptor, and anything else that worked in my hands. As the years went by, I became fascinated with death. Murder by humans on humans. I began to work as a detective. Homicide. My speciality was to track down serial killers. I learned how the police investigated, what tools they used to discover the murder. It protected me as I fed. Of course, you know that I had begun to get lazy. It's what drew you to me. I understood what Jack meant by flaunting the power. It's intoxicating. The increase of terror in the victim's eyes as you present your true form heightens the experience. I no longer sought to dispose of the bodies, but to leave them in the most sordid of ways. I grew creative, sending in Jack's style of letters to the press. Working with the police, I could keep ahead of them every step of the way. It's not that I feared them, I could never be harmed by them. I just didn't want to hurt people I worked with, colleagues for doing their job well. It's like having pets. You don't want to eat your pet Yorkshire Terrier, do you? You can. It would probably sustain you, but you'd feel bad about it. Same principle. So I began to change evidence. Lead them in opposite directions, deflecting them from me. As I grew bored with my current location, I transferred to other cities' homicide divisions. Strangely, the serial killer that I so routinely investigated seemed to follow me to each location. Or was I following him? Only the MO would change each time, making them believe one was not connected to the other. It really became a tremendous game for me to play. Please understand, it's not that I want to hurt people. Far from it. Like the butcher who doesn't want to hurt the pig, 
I feel a bit sorry for my kills. I try to finish them quickly so they don't suffer. I'm not a complete monster. The last one notwithstanding. That was more... show than anything else. Poor Candice. She was in so much pain. But I had to show you what would happen if you turned me down. I needed you to see what you will become. Full disclosure, my dearest, I want you to make this decision eyes wide open. I so hope you choose appropriately. Anyway, typically, I search for my victims among those wanting to become it. My preferred feeding grounds are gothic clubs. Searching for those begging to be kissed by a real vampire. Unfortunately, they have no idea what that truly means. It's sad, really. They're so desperate to belong to a separate subset. To be special, instead of weird. They want to know that their belief in the reality of vampires can be substantiated. Yet when they get that truth, the fear in their eyes does well to pain the soul. If I had one. Once they are gone, they can't feel pain. Thus their remains are there for my fun with the police. But I got sloppy, didn't I? Or maybe you were just that good. Much as I did when I found Jack so many decades ago. You discovered me. You figured out my pattern, and you pursued me. You forced me to change my name again. Leave law enforcement. Hide from you. And once more go underground with my killings. For a while, I hated you for it. Because you were ruining my fun. But now, I've come to realize that I needed you. I needed to reconnect to this century. For I was becoming a bitter old vampire. Those vampires who become disconnected from the centuries typically will find a nice, quiet cemetery and slip into a coma, from which they may never recover. After centuries of death and blood, you grow tired of it. You wanted to go away. I was close to that before you came along. You quickened me with your dogged determination to capture me. Your thirst for my head. I don't love you, far from it. But I see in you a little of me. Since I've been ordered by the Ferratu royalty to give rise to a new one of us before the decade is out, I think you may be the only candidate worthy of this life. A potential. The words he wrote in one of his letters. Calling me a potential. That burned in my mind now. You live alone. Your life is your work. You have no friends or lovers. You have a dogged determination to capture your prey. Those are qualities a potential vampire must possess. Without a family, you won't feel remorse if you accidentally kill them in a bloodlust. Without friends, you don't have the attachment that holds you to the mortal coil. Desire to capture your prey is essential to your survival. It's not all bad, you see. Certainly the hunger is insatiable, and disposing of the bodies can be... cumbersome. At first you may feel guilty about the kills as I did, but you'll soon come to realise as I have. They're all just Big Macs. If you don't think about where the food has come from, you won't have guilt over it. The bodies 
I like the empty boxes the burger comes in. They need to be disposed of. You can, of course, be selective. Some of us just kill evildoers or loners. I'm not as discriminative. If someone has the misfortune to cross my path when I'm in bloodlust, it doesn't matter if they're a soccer mom. That's a mother of four. Or a serial rapist. Still, I do have tastes of which I've already described to you. So, it's time. As you're reading this, I am perched outside your window right now. Don't look. You won't see me, because I'm too fast. Don't bother turning on more lights either. It won't help you. If I wanted you dead, you'd already be so. Honestly, I've grown so hungry. I can go either way with you. So just know, the game we've been playing these long months is over. I'm behind you now. Don't look. Don't turn around. Not yet. Here it is. The question I must ask you before we decide which road to take. Do you want to live or die? Just remember, if you choose life, you did this to yourself. I accept no blame for what you become. You chose this existence. God! Ariana. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Vampires of Whitechapel. If you like our show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the podcast apps that podcasts are aired. Be sure to rate our show. If you'd like to listen to commercial-free versions of this podcast and ensure the next season of Vampires of Whitechapel, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash TFA Entertainment. We will have exclusive Vampires of Whitechapel content, including Patreon-only episodes, early access to these episodes, and behind-the-scenes interviews with actors and creators, all just for you. Alistair Conisher was played by Alexander Dotty. Ariana Grayson was played by Kat Noel. Carl Ambrose was played by Eric Holloway. Larissa Cantello was played by Rita Delatore. Gio Nassos and the Patrolman were played by Jerry Kochich. Candace Rickson was played by Jackie Jorgensen. This episode was written, produced, and directed by J.C. De La Torre. Music for this episode was provided by Midnight Syndicate. Find more of their music at midnightsyndicate.com. You can find out the latest news and developments regarding this audio drama at vampiresofwhitechapel.transmissionsfromatlantis.com and our Facebook page. Be sure to follow the vamps on Twitter at Ariana Grayson, at Alistair the Vamp, and at Jack the Ripper WC. But be warned, if you at them, they just may at you back. Join us in two weeks for the next spine-tingling chapter of Vampires of Whitechapel. This has been a production of Transmissions from Atlantis Entertainment. <laughs>